0: Welcome to the Modern Classrooms Project Podcast with Kareem Farah, Kate Gaskell, and me, Zach Diamond. Each week, we bring you discussions with educators on how they use blended, self paced, and mastery based learning to better serve their students. We believe teachers learn best from each other, so this is our way of lifting up the voices of leaders and innovators in our community. This is the Modern Classrooms Project Podcast.
1: Hello and welcome to episode number 43 of the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. My name is Kareem Farah. I'm the co-founder and CEO of the Modern Classrooms Project. Super excited about today's episode because we're going to be talking about motivation in a modern classroom, which is honestly a hot topic for any educator who has experimented with our model and or is looking to start using our model. And I'm joined by an incredible educator. Uh, here in the DC area, Garner Andrews, who's going to share with me some of his perspectives. He actually has a really deep passion for motivation in general in the classroom. Uh, And we're going to talk through a variety of topics here, both around why students are unmotivated, how you can intervene when that happens, how the Modern Classrooms Project model helps or supports all that. So we're going to go ahead and get started. Garner, welcome. Can you share a little bit more with our listeners about yourself, what you do, how long you've been in the classroom? Yeah,
2: well, thanks so much for
1: having me. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. So I've been, uh, I've been a classroom teacher for, I just finished, I'm just wrapping up my sixth year. Before becoming a classroom teacher, I did AmeriCorps out in uh, Tacoma, Washington. So I wasn't a classroom teacher, but I was, um, working with high schoolers in an after school tutoring and mentoring program. And I mean, actually that was like one of the first times I really started thinking a lot about motivation. Um, we had a lot of students in that program who, Um, We're kind of like, kind of like C level students on average, Um, like not super high performing students. Um, A lot of students who just kind of like showed up for school and and went through the motions and passed their classes, but then always seemed super enthused about learning. But uh, yeah, I also, uh, after that, I was like, okay, I'm I'm ready to be a teacher. So I got my master's degree in teaching in uh, Seattle. And then I taught for a year out in a district called Highline Public Schools out in Washington State. And then I moved out to Washington, uh, the Washington, D.C. area. I taught in Alexandria City Public Schools, where I've been for five years now. And I, I teach in a pretty cool program. It's, um, it's part of a network of schools uh, really around the country, but especially in the D.C. and, and New York City areas uh, called the Internationals Network. So for the past five years, I've been a teacher in what's called the International Academy. Um, It's uh, a program of about close to 600 English language learning students from um, really all over the world, and they uh, are taking content classes for normal credit. Um, So I've been teaching social studies, but in a sheltered instruction, social studies context of teaching social studies to english language learners exclusively
1: it's amazing i think i find your role and your position in the community teaching always to be fascinating every time you explain it to me so i think this is really really exciting i also think you're going to have a really interesting perspective on this because naturally there can be a challenge for students who have unique barriers to accessing content that can be a language barrier that can impact motivation naturally which is why i imagine you actually are pretty passionate about this topic yeah definitely Can you tell us a little bit more about how you came in contact with the Modern Classrooms Project model? Like, A, how did you find out about it? B, how did you learn it? And C, why did you actually do it in the first place?
2: Yeah, well, um, it kind of started with feeling like, uh, I'd say maybe two years ago, it kind of started with me feeling like I had no idea how to really use technology in my classroom um, to actually help students learn better. Um, I, I knew of a lot of examples and felt like I was using technology in my class, but honestly, I didn't, I wasn't really sure how I was using it in a way that was frankly that different from just using pencil and paper, like, you know, like using a, using a Google doc instead of a worksheet or something like that. Like I just wasn't, I wasn't really seeing how the technology was actually enhancing students learning. So I started just looking around at examples of of just blended learning approaches. Um, And I was talking to a colleague about how I just wanted to learn more about this. And uh, she had a a partner who was very involved in the Modern Classrooms Project. So she's like, oh, you should check this out. So I think I I I just Googled Modern Classrooms Project and came across the website and um, saw that Edutopia video that I think a lot of people have seen um, that you're in. (laughs) And I know the stuff that, that you and other teachers in that video were talking about just immediately resonated with me uh, beyond just the, the use of technology. So I know a big thing for me is in, in my program, there's, a, for a lot of reasons, attendance with my students can be pretty spotty, um, especially at different times of the year. And, and also just kind of the nature of uh, migration is a lot of students are coming and going in our school throughout the whole year. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, like in Central America, a lot of schools close, um, I want to say in like January, like that's when they go on summer vacation. And that's actually when some students will come to the US. So they're coming into the middle of our school year. Totally. Um, so I just, yeah, I was just finding a lot of issues with attendance. And yeah, just learning about the self-paced model, I was like, wow, this can really... Um, address some of the issues I find with attendance and, and trying to get students started in the middle of a unit or the middle of the school year when we've already covered a lot of stuff. Yeah, so just, uh, again, it, it kind of started with me just wanting to learn more about blended instruction. And then when I started reading more about the Modern Classrooms project, there were just a lot of components to it that, that really resonated with me, um, including, I mean, kind of that third part of just mastery-based grading, for a long time, I'd felt kind of dissatisfied feeling like there were students leaving my class who somehow, because of how I was grading, were, were passing the class and getting a credit, which was great, but I wasn't convinced they had actually learned the important things I wanted them to learn out of my class and feeling like I also even needed a, a different kind of grading system to, for me and the students to feel confident that they were actually learning things in my class.
1: I have such like a positive reaction to the way that you, you just explained that because like I'm a numbers person. I was a math teacher and the concept of a meaningless number drove me insane. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it just felt like when I taught traditionally, like my entire grade book was just like a series of meaningless numbers that then averaged to an even more meaningless number. Um, and, and I totally hear you too. I mean, you know, this about, uh, Eastern, where I taught, where certainly attendance was a challenge. So, yeah, that's, I mean, you, you came to the model for all the reasons I think we created the model, which I think is awesome. And, and yeah. for folks who are listening, just so everyone knows, Gardner is not only just a, an outstanding implementer, he's also a mentor. So, I mean, he's implementing it the highest level that you can be, um, as far as we're concerned. So, you're going to be uh, a great person to share your thoughts on this. So, talk a little bit more. I mean, this is, this is about a general question as general of a question as I could probably deliver. So if you want me to be more specific, I can, but I mean, how do you actually think about the concept of student motivation in your classroom? Like what, when, when someone says, how do you motivate your students or how do you make sure that students are really inspired to learn? What comes to mind? How do you think about it?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, first I even appreciate the way you asked that question, um, i don't I don't really like just putting a label on a kid and saying like this kid is unmotivated I mean one that's not like that's not really like a strength based focus, but even besides that like I just don't find that label very helpful like it's just like what what do you do with that label so yeah i don't i I try not to think of any kid as motivated or unmotivated in any kind of blanket kind of fixed kind of way um and I think the way you ask that like how do I create motivations or how do I inspire is like the much better way to to go about doing that I know as as I was actually pretty close to the time I was really starting to look for some solutions to my teaching which which led me to the modern classrooms project um, I was also I felt like really starting to think about this idea of motivation a lot uh, one one like story that has really stuck with me is I remember my first year of teaching this student who I guess at that time I would have just called like unmotivated she came into my class a few minutes early and she was like Mr. Andrews what are we doing today are we just going to fill words into boxes again and I was like well one I was like immediately a little bit depressed but I was just like Like what she was referring to was like these graphic organizers that I was making and feeling like I was using to really scaffold students thinking about something and that she didn't understand the, the use of that to her, like what we were doing in my class. It wasn't like using a graphic organizer to organize our ideas. It was just like filling words into boxes. And, um, it was pretty clear to me that, wow, okay, I need to, I need to start thinking a little bit more intentionally about this. I came across this this theory called self-determination theory. Um, and I, I want to say I'm not, I'm, I'm a classroom teacher by training. I'm not a psychologist. Um, so my understanding of this is, you know, kind of at that level. I'm not, I don't understand this theory at a super deep level, but I found it super useful and it has three parts to it. Um, the first is autonomy. The second is relatedness. And the third is competence. And I guess just to break those down really briefly, um, I understand autonomy as giving students some level of, of choice and freedom in my class, while at the same time within a structure. Um, so, um, And I, maybe after I break these down a little bit, I'll, I'll talk about like the ways that I think Modern Classrooms Project approach really fits these really well. Um, but that was, that's autonomy. So just giving students choice and some freedom, but again, within a, within a structure relatedness being about connection, um, and relationships. So how are students relating and connecting to each other? How are they connecting to me? How are they connecting to the material or content in my class? And then the third is competence. And that's really students feeling like they're being successful. And I'm I'm not really a believer in any kind of silver bullets approaches, but I have found that using those three components of of the self determination theory really give me good maybe guideposts for thinking about how I'm motivating and and inspiring students. I think that's
1: brilliant and incredibly in line with what I hope most educators, when you reflect on when a student's motivated or unmotivated in any given moment how that's aligned, because for me, A, when I think about autonomy, I think about the idea of feeling empowered. I mean, we're we're our most motivated selves when we're feeling empowered. And obviously, to feel empowered, you have to have some element of choice. But, you know, I think that a concept at the end of competence, I mean, one of the things that drove me nuts when I was teaching traditionally is like, I just never gave kids the opportunity to actually feel successful. Mm -hmm. So why would they ever be motivated? Totally, and then when you do that at scale, like day after day, month after month, class after class, year after year, like now kids start to to have this general association between like school and a lack of success or a lack of competence. Right. So then they're just globally feeling unmotivated, and then that's when they get labeled as the unmotivated student, right? Which is such a dis like it's as you said, it's an inappropriate label because you know, to be motivated is an action. Like, I I am motivated. I'm not motivated to do something. And ultimately, when we condition a kid to feel unsuccessful and have no autonomy, we've conditioned them to not see any reason to be motivated. And I think that your framework is a brilliant way of organizing it. I love it. As you described it, I just like, my brain started racing about all the different ways we could harness that theory and align it more effectively with our model because I think it's brilliant. So talk to me a little bit more about how the modern classroom project model has supported you in executing this because I think it's very easy to, for me to both see the parallels and also see how a traditional approach does not accomplish it at all more than anything but can you share a little bit more about how the modern classroom project approach how you've leveraged it to really execute these three components I think the competence piece is probably more obvious to folks but I think the first two um are not necessarily all that obvious and and you don't necessarily may come to life unless you execute the model in a particular way.
2: Well, I think the, the, the part of the modern classrooms project approach that was, that was most uh, intimidating to me as I was starting. And I, I still feel like I'm, I'm doing a lot of learning around how to do it well, but is the, is the self pacing. But that's, I think that's really what allows for a lot of, of that maybe first pillar of, of the self-determination theory of autonomy. You know, the, the self-pacing structure that I'm using really allows students to, I mean, a lot of things. It allows them to choose how quickly or maybe slowly they feel like they need to go through the material. I also do use um, kind of like different maybe levels of, of lessons doing must-do's and aspire-to-do's. Um, should do's, and that also gives students some choice in how much they want to challenge themselves um, within my class. Um, and it also just gives students some um, choice around how they want to prioritize pr- prioritize their time in any one class. Um, I've I've had some students who, um, for example, might feel like they're a little bit ahead of others in my class, and they want to go back and try something again, or they want to just pause and maybe try to support some of their, the other students in a class for a day. And similarly, I think it gives students who are maybe moving through a little bit slowly, like it gives them the, the option to slow down or to try a lesson again and not feeling like they have to pretend that they're, they're all caught up with everyone else, um, So I think, again, like, even though, um, and, and I, when I talk to other people, like the self pacing, it it also seems like something that, um, they're kind of intimidated by, but I think it really does allow for that, that sense of autonomy.
1: You know, I always tell folks, the shiny thing in the model is blended learning. It's just like tech and it's shiny and instructional videos. The obvious thing that everyone wants to accomplish is mastery based grading like that's just intuitive who wouldn't want that the most challenging and most important part of the model is self-pacing for sure like undoubtedly right because that's the part that really shakes things up in the classroom it's the part that most folks are least experienced with but as you said it's the part that makes the rest happen it's the part that really makes the model come to life. So, you know, when folks tell me they struggle the most with self-pacing or it's the part that they're doing the most learning on, I'm like, it better be. Because if it's not, like, I don't I don't know what you've created because it's the most challenging and it's the newest part for the students. I mean, some of the mastery-based grading is, is reasonably new, but it's not that new. You know, like kids have been graded with some elements of competence or mastery-based grading. Ultimately, when you grade a test and you give a kid a 65% on it, you know, they can draw a connection to the fact that they mastered parts of it and they didn't master other parts. Um, So I think that that's really, really interesting. And part of the reason why I think that self-pacing is so uniquely challenging for folks is because there are some motivation challenges when you, when you introduce it. And anytime you introduce something new and particularly when it leads to a certain percentage of students struggling with motivation initially, people have a kind of panic because we've been conditioned in education to say, like, I can't see a kid unmotivated and not doing anything, so let me just, like, go micromanage the situation. Yeah. Um, Which we know is not good for anyone, right? It's a terrible use of our time, but it's also terrible for the student. So can you talk about – I mean, I like to think – and maybe this is just totally wrong, but I like to think of – there's sort of, like, situational motivation – and then there's sort of condition motivation the way that I think about it, right? Where like I feel like I've, I've taught a group of 25 students and on any given day like there might be a group of students who seem to chronically struggle feeling motivated, right? Something's, something has happened over time now where they maybe don't believe that they can be successful in the classroom. They haven't been proven, no one's proven to them that it's a good use of their time to invest in the class material. And then there's like situational motivation, right? Where like someone comes into class one day and clearly something going on that is probably bigger than anything you're doing in class, that's not allowing them to, to invest in, in their education that day. Let's talk about that first category, which to me is like a student who is going to have to build motivation over time. And, and I always kind of perceived it as I had to prove to the student, like why their current perception of the learning environment is not accurate, or that there's another way they could look at it. How do you kind of address a student who, hey, the first three weeks of class, like it feels like they're really just not invested in the material?
2: Well, I think um, one thing I feel like I've learned over the years is before, even before I start worrying too much about a student's motivation, is just making sure that they have that they have the skills that they need to do whatever I'm asking them to do and clarity of what I'm asking them to do. Because I've found that there are so many times where I'm like, Oh, what, especially early on in my teaching, like why aren't students doing this work? They seem so unmotivated. And it's just that they didn't know what to do. Like I thought I had given instructions and as we all know, like (laughs) some uh, students need to hear instructions many, many times. Um, But It's, it's up to me to like create that clarity for what I'm expecting them to do. And I'm, I was surprised when I started realizing how often students weren't doing work, not necessarily because they thought my class was stupid or they were unmotivated in any kind of big sense, but simply that they didn't know what to do. And I think it's really important to, to start with that. And I think maybe one thing that helped me with that was being, it has been being an English language learning teacher because it's really obvious when a newcomer student doesn't understand what you're saying in English, they have no idea what to do. So I have to, if I have to either use their language if I know it or really have to focus on how I'm modeling or how I'm grouping students to help each other. But I need to make sure that students have, have clarity. And I think, I think a lot of teachers know that a lot of students who maybe don't know what to do or don't know how to do something, like to sometimes hide that with, um, you know, behaviors that um, kind of hide that, that lack of clarity or ability to do something. So I feel like it's really important to start with that. And I think when I started realizing that, and I started really putting a lot of effort into making my expectations as clear as possible, that really took care of a lot of students who weren't maybe doing work before. You know,
1: I think that's brilliant and also marginally terrifying. Right. Oh. <laughs> um, it's it's brilliant because I think there's a lot of misdirection that happens when a student's unmotivated, particularly on the, the teacher part. Like, you see a, an unmotivated student and regardless of how hard you're trying and how much you care about the student, it's very easy to just start assigning a rationale to it that is totally off. And the most off we can be is assume that a student is unmotivated for a reason outside of actually just not understanding what to do totally everyone is right if they're unmotivated because they don't know what to do i mean like that like we're all unmotivated if we don't know what to do because if we keep trying hard we're just gonna keep bumping into a wall
2: exactly
1: the reason why i find that terrifying is i know certainly for me as a math teacher like a lot of time a kid doesn't know what to do because they're at a third grade math level in a ninth grade math class. Right. And then we have a much larger question to ask around like, so what are we supposed to do with that? And like, how do we create a pathway where they know what to do? But I think that's a separate topic for a separate podcast and a separate day. But I think you're spot on in 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 not having sort of a um, intense reaction to a student not feeling unmotivated and, quickly jump to conclusions but and then instead just kind of similar to a maslow's hierarchy of needs model like okay let's start with like do you actually have the tools and resources to do something if you were motivated let's like start there like do you have enough information and then go next i i would imagine the next phase particularly for me this was certainly the case was layering in an element of autonomy right there like okay so you know Now, now we know that you have the tools you might need. I've, I've kind of plugged that hole, but maybe you're not convinced that you actually want to be engaging in this activity in the way that I've laid out. So start actually posing to the student, like, so what do you want to do with your time? And I remember actually asking a number of students who, you know, weren't necessarily engaging in the work quite frequently, just being like, so what do you actually want to do with your time? And like, don't say Fortnite, just like, give me one answer that isn't fun, you know, like pure fun. And it was always really interesting to hear their responses to that, right? Because when you actually flip the experience and say, look, just like, tell me a little bit more about how you would like to be using your time, you start to engage in some really interesting conversations. And then I always thought it was really important there to tie to that relatedness. Like somehow then connect, like what you want to be doing is X. Well, here's how, what you can do in this classroom is related to that. I mean, the frustrating thing is sometimes that connection was loose, like, I often tell a story of a student I was teaching in Hawaii who was a 12th grader and was really just not into math anymore. He was in 12th grade and like who who am I to say that in 12th grade if you have a career path that you're excited about like you have to like math or be deeply invested in it. And he was in my geometry class and we were learning about parallel lines cut by a transversal. And I remember him looking at me and he just got so upset and he kind of just like yelled like, why do I need to know that alternate interior angles are equal? And I remember that moment, I really didn't have a very good answer at all. Like I wasn't able to be like, well, if you want to be X type of engineer, you know, if you want to be able to balance your checkbook, instead I was just like, Gave him one of those crappy answers like, you know, you got a test coming up type of thing. And I went home and I was like, man, that's so lame. Like, yeah, there's no way I did anything productive for that student. So I think the idea of really starting with do you have the information you need to access this material, but then really starting to give folks the opportunity to explain what it is that they want to do with their time. And then being prepared to draw that connection is critical. But I do think drawing that connection is hard. I mean, do you have any insights on how you really invest in the relatedness side of this? Like, how do you actually show students that what they're doing is related to something they need to accomplish? And maybe this is easier and or harder in the context that you're in.
2: Yeah, I mean, I feel like that that starts getting into pretty big ideas around like what your curriculum is and and are you actually... Is what you're teaching actually relevant to students? And I know, I know that that can be hard depending on your subject area. Like I've taught ancient world history, and it can be pretty hard at times um, to figure out how ancient world history is relevant to a student who isn't already really interested in it. Um, so I feel like I, I definitely don't feel like there's ever an easy answer to that. Where I do feel like the And I think that just takes like a lot of of time to start figuring out. Where I do think like relatedness comes in is like, I think having those kinds of honest conversations with that student, like that is an example of relatedness. Like even pausing, I mean, it's kind of like a more human conversation. Like, Like it's like acknowledging that, Oh, we're not just gonna plow through this content no matter what. Like it's pausing and like acknowledging like, oh, maybe this isn't really relevant to you and and let's it, it's also maybe starts putting some accountability on the teacher to start thinking about like how how can I make this more relevant? and how can I help you relate to this a little bit more? But I feel like I mean, in kind of like a meta way, like almost just having those conversations with students is the sort of thing that starts building connections and relationships in class. Um, also, I mean, like you, you kind of mentioned it in, in the example you just gave, but I feel like my, my teaching got better and my experience with teaching started getting better after some difficult years when I started kind of taking my ego out of my teaching, which is pretty hard, but you know, like I, I personally really find history super interesting and not all people do, not just students who are struggling, but there are plenty of successful grown people who don't find history very interesting and that's okay. And I just had to start realizing like, okay, if a kid isn't passionate about my subject, that's okay. Um, but I can still start making connections with them in in other ways. Sometimes I've even started asking students like, what what subject do you like? And they'll tell me it's something like math or art or something like that. And I'm able just to start talking to them about that. And uh, usually I'm like creative enough to try to find some kind of connection back to my class um, with one of those things.
1: Yeah. You know, I think this also goes back to like, I think there's layers to why a student could be motivated in a class because of course one can be motivated to, excel in English class because they want to be a journalist but you could also be motivated to excel in English class because you have larger goals of what you want to accomplish with your education I kind of relate it to working out like you know a gym is basically like people picking up rocks and putting them down right so like people aren't motivated to be in the gym to lift weights because they like picking up rocks they're motivated to be in the gym because they care about their overall health and the individual act of you know being on a bench press or, you know, doing some sort of activity in the gym is not the actual activity itself that may be inspiring, but it's that it's getting them closer to a much bigger and more interesting goal. You know, when I think about motivation in a class that potentially a student is not all that passionate about, this happened quite frequently in math, what I would often ask them is like, so so what is it that you want to be doing with your life? Like, where do you want to go? And like you said, the very fact that I was asking that question was just already a little bit motivating, right? Because they were like, wait, what? Like, you want to know like what I want to do? And then I'm like, yeah. And then when we start to have that discussion, again, kind of creatively at times, and sometimes it doesn't even require creativity, being able to draw that back to why being successful in my classroom is going to help them get there, then created a different type of motivation. And then even if they're not interested in factoring a quadratic, they're interested in excelling at the unit or the course, because they know that's going to be one small piece of a larger puzzle that they're trying to put together. And I always thought that that was interesting because like, otherwise you're kind of going to fight something brutal, right? Which is like that you're going to, what I hated was getting in the trap where I was trying to convince a kid something was meaningful that it it just wasn't meaningful to them. Right. And it was like, this isn't going to work. Like I can't, I can't like trick a kid into thinking something that is totally meaningless to them conceptually is suddenly meaningful, but I can explain to a kid why valuing education is meaningful like that that is real so I've always found that that exercise is is quite interesting and, and necessary yeah
2: and i I also feel like like as a teacher it's really important for you to actually be motivated with what you're teaching like you you have to actually believe that it matters like i re, I remember when even before I was started doing a, was a classroom teacher, I was doing, I was leading a session with students in in this AmeriCorps program I did. And I got some honest feedback from, from one of my supervisors that I think was helpful for me to hear at that time, even though it hurt a little bit. And he was like, he told me that after leading the session, he was like, I don't know if you believe with what you were talking about. Like, if you really believe in that, like, do you, if you think that really matters. And, I think about that a lot. Like, and is what I'm, is what I'm teaching, am I just showing up and going through the motions too as a teacher every day? And and sometimes that's like, I know, I know it can be hard, but like, it, do I actually believe in what I'm teaching? And um, you know, a, a lot of people say no matter what kind of style of pedagogy um, teachers use, like a lot of people talk about remembering, you know, passionate teachers and um, sometimes it's, it's, up for me to be able to show students why something is really interesting. Um, that's one of my roles as a teacher, I think, and I have to believe that. It's totally
1: true. I struggled with this at times transparently because there were times where I was teaching certain math classes that I felt were, you know, uniquely disconnected from students' needs or wants. And, you know, in those examples, it was, it was the hardest for me to to motivate students. And I love math, but that doesn't mean that every type of math is right for every type of student at every type of age, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, very good, very, very real. Does your perspective on how to support a student, particularly a student who's struggling with motivation, change when it's a situational issue? I mean, you know, if a student's coming in and experiencing trauma and, you know, you're like, hey, like, time to work on sentence structure, and they're like, essentially, get out of my face. How, just like, how do you approach that? And, and do you even think about motivation in that moment? Or do you just say like, look, the student's going through something that's much larger
2: than than anything I,
1: I'm doing. And my job is actually not to focus on how to motivate the student.
2: Yeah, I mean, um, I feel like it's important just to know how to connect to students as as people in times like that. And I, I can feel pretty lost at times like that. Like, what am I, how do I support a student? Um, in this situation. And it's important to remember, I mean, depending on the resources at, at your school and, and the funding your district has and everything, but there are people in your school, hopefully, who are trained to deal with those kinds of situations and support kids in that kind of way. And I mean, one thing that's, I actually find truly like helpful about the modern classrooms approach is that I can talk to a kid and maybe ask them if they want to go see a counselor or a social worker and know that they're not going to lose an entire days of learning because they can come back and pick up at the pace that they, you know, that they left at. Um, So I I actually feel like um, that kind of self-paced structure really helps you to support students in um, maybe moments of crisis or just to help them address things that are ongoing reoccurring traumas and try to help find some, you know, resources and support for them. While also at the same time, like knowing that maybe learning about history or math isn't the most important thing that day, but it's still important. And I'm gonna, I have a system for helping you come back to that when you're, when you're ready. And I think like, I feel like a lot of students, when they feel that kind of level of understanding or compassion, um, I mean, that in a way that that motivates them, or at least builds enough trust, where you'll be able to to work with them about around content another another time another day.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think this is so so important because when I think about when a student is coming into a classroom feeling emotionally distraught or going through something, I remember. In a, teaching a traditional environment, where I'd say something like "Don't worry about it, relax," or "Hey, like go to the counselor," or you know anything like that. But then, them actually, especially if they're just their student who's really invested in the coursework, is like, "No, I don't want to miss class. My life's going to get harder if you, if I miss." And then that tension generally disappeared. When I started running a modern classroom because the kid didn't leave and say, like, I just lost, like, this is my one opportunity to engage and now I don't have it. Right. Instead, the kid was like, you know, thank you. Um, Let me think about it. And then if they needed to, they would go, knowing that there's going to be a time and space for them to have access to just as high quality instruction. It's kind of a similar actual reason. You know, some kids will come to school even when they're sick. Right. Like. Right. And you're like go home (laughs) and a lot of times those students are coming to school because they're like if i miss third period i'm screwed Totally, and it's like no that's not how the world should work um and let's not construct an environment like that so yeah i mean i think ultimately when when a student is experiencing some sort of crisis i mean the goal should just be to say like you know what are your needs and then go do them and then also make sure that they feel like they're not actually like Getting double the damage being done to them as a result. You know, the same applies to a student who's missing class because of reasons out of their control. It's like you're going to miss the class, then you're going to come in and you're going to be on the different lesson. You're not going to know what's going on. Like that's really, really a great way to get a kid to be unmotivated because they're like these barriers are now too big for me to to get over. Totally, they fall into a hole that just feels too big to to get out of. Exactly. And that actually goes back to that idea of competence because, you know, ultimately in those moments, and sometimes that happens in a modern classroom, right? Like if you're if you're on a self-paced path, but, you know, we obviously create structures. If someone's, you know, six le- lessons behind and they're supposed to be on lesson 10 and they're on four, they can start to feel like, oh man, I just got to give up on this unit. And I always said that, like the the next best thing was just to give them the next lesson and really tell them, look, you can make it through. And once they feel that little sense of competence again, you know, master one skill, they start to say, oh, there's a way, there's an on-ramp back. I mean, the traditional model just doesn't even put any on-ramps back. But it's not to say that a modern classroom doesn't certainly have barriers that feel too lofty. Sure. But you have to go back to those kind of bite-sized things. Um, Before we close today, you know, I, I always like to ask folks who are in the classroom now, to share with listeners some advice that they have just more globally around the model and i mean i think the big one i want to ask you is you know if if you could tell a teacher who's just starting to engage with our model now or is just starting to think about the model um or implement the model like what advice would you give them before they get started
2: yeah this is uh relevant because it's uh it's kind of what i've been sharing with some of my uh mentees um and when I have initial coaching calls with them, as since I'm a modern classrooms mentor, but um, one thing that I've been kind of suggesting is to it's it's been interesting to hear what kind of like how you asked me in the beginning of this of this session, just like what what drew you to the modern classrooms project, like what was it that you felt like you were you were needing, or what your you felt like your students needed. Um, that really drew you. And for some people, it is like wanting to improve how they're using technology, or like I said, improving a sense that of, you know, how they're grading students and stuff like that. Um, so I think it's really important to just be clear with yourself about why, why are you exploring this? Why are you starting this? Why do you want to go down this journey of teaching this way? Um And just really focus in on that. Um, I also feel like it's, it's important to be honest with yourself about the parts about this model that you do find challenging or you do have some doubts about. Um, and like, that's totally okay. And what I really like about this community of teachers I've found around the Modern Classrooms Project is um, people are trying to solve those problems um, or those find ways around some of those issues. And it's kind of like exploring these things together. I mean, like like we were saying earlier, like there, I still feel like I can improve a lot with how I'm structuring my classroom to really get the most out of self-pacing. And um, I need to like talk about that with other people and share some of my challenges and some of my doubts about that um, to try to, to get it to work um, if you believe in the potential of it. I
1: mean, I, I think you've hit a really important concept. I mean, hey, I love how you've, You've weaved in motivation, right? Like if you're if you're about to do the model, keep in mind why you're doing the model. I'm like, be motivated by it, because if you're not motivated by it, it's it's too challenging. Um, you know, it's just like I've I've shared a lot of thoughts on you know social media and and the kind of pieces that I've written about how you know the traditional system in many ways is built around convenience. What that does mean is if you're not motivated to change it, then you're gonna you're gonna regress back to what's convenient like naturally. So I think that's spot on. But I also think what you just described is also so critical, which is that I don't know a single modern classroom educator that isn't a continuous learner. Mm-hmm. Like I tell everyone, I learned, I learned a ton today hearing from you about your implementation of the model because every single teacher has a different subset of experiences with a different group of students and a different set of constraints and a different style. And I think what so often what we make the mistake of in education is we try to put people in boxes and don't offer enough customization and then think that everyone's going to somehow execute it in a certain way and it's going to translate to the same set of results. So I think that's such a good advice for any user or any implementer is like there just really isn't one way to do it. Right. Yeah. And that's what's cool about it. But as you said, can be intimidating. Um, because when there isn't the one right answer to everything, you start to freeze a little bit and that's okay. Um, but there's a community around it, which I think is awesome. And the last thing I wanted to ask is, um, what are you excited about as you think about next year and implementation? I mean, certainly coming off a year like the one we just had, is there something in particular you're most excited about, um, as the fall comes around?
2: Yeah, well, um, so I just went through this whole year of, of being, Almost entirely virtual. Um, I'm just really excited to implement this model, hopefully, in much in you know in a classroom full of students in person. And I know that this model was originally designed with that in mind. Like I know I, I remember learning on early that the modern classrooms approach was never meant to be an entirely virtual style of pedagogy, and it definitely gave me tons of tools to support me through this crazy year of being mostly. Online, but I'm just really excited to um, bring it into person, face to face with students. And the other thing is that probably one of the one of my biggest takeaways from this year was um, I just feel like I spent most of my time. I, and I I never got around to this in the the main part of our discussion, but I'm going to use this time to say it now. Is um, I feel like one of the most made motivating tools for students from a, with your teaching is giving students clear feedback. And one of my favorite parts of, of this model is how I now spend most of my time during class, checking in with students, having a clear sense of what they understand or don't understand and giving them feedback for how to improve and, and, I've noticed that when students actually can tell that I'm paying attention to their learning, rather than them just turning things in and getting a grade back, but I'm actually talking with students about their learning and how they might be able to change something or improve something, I think that alone just motivates a lot of students because it goes back to that clarity, they're clear on what they they want I want them to do, but also like it shows them that I actually care about they're learning. And I'm I'm really excited to start having those conversations in person with students and continuing that practice of of giving really good feedback because um, yeah it just feels good. Like when I'm giving feedback to students, that's really when I feel like I'm being a teacher. Like I, I don't often feel like a teacher when I'm just delivering content. Whether that's a lecture or even just making instructional videos, even though it's fun to make instructional videos, like I don't always feel like a teacher when I'm if I'm just making these instructional videos. But when I'm able to actually start talking with students and giving them feedback on their work, um, that feels really exciting. And I've noticed that motivates a lot of students.
1: It's it's so spot on. It's it's also why I always tell folks like a lot of people came to our model during COVID. But the hardest thing about COVID in teaching is not being able to spend intimate one-on-one small group time with students and that's the biggest benefit of the model is it maximizes that as much as possible so i hear you i mean it's my favorite part about teaching whenever i hear i actually got on a got off a call today where someone asked me you know do, do you feel like educators who use this model like don't like it because they can't you know be at the front of the room and put on a performance and i my response was, I don't actually think that's what motivates educators. What motivates educators is being able to connect with kids in a smaller setting and actually give them real feedback and learn about them, and that's what drives you know those exciting moments. Yeah. Well, I got to say, Garner, uh, this was fascinating. Um, you know, for listeners, I usually put together like a some sort of run of show just to kind of follow along, but. I'd say we deviated from that more so than normal because it was just such an interesting conversation. And I think your insights here are fascinating. And frankly, um, I'm kind of envious of your students. I think it would have been awesome to be a part of your class. And I think they probably get a wonderful classroom experience. So, Garner, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Well... Everyone, as as you always know, you can access our content on our website at www.modernclassrooms.org, our free course at learn.modernclassrooms.org. Our big summer institute's actually around the corner and we'll be launching um, in just a few days. And for folks who are listening to us on Sunday, it's it's launching tomorrow. Um, and if you are planning on becoming a distinguished modern classroom educator and want to create that application, feel free to submit. We are still accepting applications on a rolling basis. You know, to become a mentor, you first must become a Distinguished Modern Classroom Educator. Just know that we're going to be reviewing those kind of across the summer. And then folks who apply between now and September will find out in September. Um, so that's just some clarity for folks who are super excited um, and planning to, to apply for that credential. Please do so. Just know you'll hear from us uh, in September. So awesome. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back at it next week. Bye.
0: Have a great week, and we'll be back next Sunday with another episode of the Modern Classrooms Project podcast.